the typo, but I'm... Yes. All right, we're going to get going. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Um, you all have many choices of where you could have been right now, but we are so humbled and so glad you chose this place. Um, Sue and I actually have some pretty deep convictions about the fact that our homes are a gift on loan from God. And we hope we can help with some ideas and maybe even some paradigm shifts about how we can use them wisely, openly, and spiritually. Amen. I am Beth Westbrook. Sue and I are in the Northern Virginia Church. Woohoo! Heavily represented. Um, I have been married for 38 years. Uh, I have two amazing kids. I have one amazing daughter in law, and I have two and a half perfect grandchildren. Perfect. <laughs> Um, I've been a disciple of Jesus for 33 years. I have moved 10 times coast to coast. I've lived in 12 different homes. I've had two dogs. I've had a hermit crab. I've had a horse that conveyed with one of the houses. Um, I've lived in one-room studio apartments with Murphy beds, and I've lived in upstairs apartments and on five acres. I have painted and wallpapered and redone kitchens and baths and planted <laughs> gardens, and I've had lots of practice at making houses into homes. And my name is Sue Fisk. Uh, I've been married to Dan for 32 years. I'm the mom to three amazing sons, although I've learned this weekend when I introduced myself, I guess I'm really just Matt's mom or Andrew's mom or Michael's mom. But anyway, I, I am those things. Um, I have two incredibly wonderful daughters in love. And I've been a disciple of Jesus for 28 years. Um, I've only moved six times, um, which isn't really all that many because my husband was former military, so I had it pretty good, actually, with only six moves. Um, I haven't ever wallpapered a room in my life. I have never owned a hermit crab or a horse or had any pets. Um, but I've been practicing hospitality for a really long time, and I'm hoping I get it right with all this practice eventually. I'm going to keep practicing. Um, we have lived in Chicago, Denver, the prairies of Fort Riley, Kansas, suburban Maryland, and then finally to uh, Northern Virginia 18 years ago. So we've been asked to share a few things, a few keys to making your house a home. And for the next 45 minutes, we are hoping that you will feel at home with us. Um, because we're going to talk about, it's not really the four walls and the ceiling that makes a house a home. It's what goes into it and the spirit um, that goes into it. And we're going to talk more about um, making it a safe haven that brings God glory. So, whatever has happened so far to you today, we want you to just take a deep breath. We have a little treat that Beth's prepared for you. <laughs> the chocolate ones have gluten, the Rice Krispies do not enjoy. Um, okay, a house versus a home. What is the difference? Got to go to Webster. A house is a building for human habitation. It is bricks and mortar. It is inherently perishable. Uh, houses don't last. They either eventually decay and rot, or sadly, as we've seen with all the hurricanes, they can sometimes suddenly disappear. Um, a home is different. A home is a physical place uh, meant for spiritual use. It's the warm, welcoming, safe haven where our hearts for God can be intentionally shared and where we can bring him glory. 
Proverbs 3.33 says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. Houses, homes. God has a lot to say about both of them. It's good to get God's whole perspective on anything you study. So I had a great time going through the hundreds of times every time the word house and home is in the Bible. Learned a lot of things. But one obvious one is that Jesus, our example, had no home. He knew as a young child whose house he belonged in, Luke 2.49, his father's house. But as an adult, Matthew 8.20, he clearly says that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We know he used the homes of others to preach, to teach, sometimes at the expense of their roofs, um, to heal uh, Peter's mother-in-law from an illness. And don't you love it? As soon as she was healed, what did she do? She got up, started taking care of him. Um, the daughter of a synagogue leader was raised from the dead in the home of the leader. Um, Jesus used home, others' homes to eat, obviously, most notably borrowing someone else's for his last dinner. Um, Jesus' plan was not that his home would be brick and mortar, but our hearts. John 1.14 says that Jesus, who was God, became flesh and made his home among us. Colossians 3.27 says that the glorious mystery that God revealed is that Christ would be in us. So we make our houses homes by infusing them with our hearts which are full of him. His love, his joy, his peace, his patience. Not mine, not our patience. His patience, his kindness, his goodness. A house becomes a home when it is full of Jesus, his love, his purpose. Our physical houses are a gift from God. We are also blessed in so many ways, obviously, financially, our health, our freedom, our intellect. When we said Jesus is Lord, we surrendered all these gifts, these talents, these resources to the Lordship of God. We acknowledge them as on loan from him to use wisely while we borrow them. Our homes are an extension of our arms and our legs and our mouths and our hearts that Jesus is so eager to use in this world. If you own a home, it is the most expensive and probably biggest possession on loan from God you will ever have. And therefore, they need, our homes need to most be surrendered to him for his use and his glory. We're really hoping during this time together that we can change a little bit of the way we view our homes. They are far more than bricks and mortar. They need to be a way to open a door to a broken and hurting world, a light in a dark place, a way to demonstrate the love of Jesus, a safe place against the confusion of the world. Before I knew God, I was really confused. I was 30 years old, everything was going right on the outside. Married, beautiful baby boy, husband who loved me, but I was bitter and angry and so confused about why my life wasn't what I thought it should be. But in our seventh move, which came only two years into our marriage, we moved in next door to Disciples of Jesus and I saw a home next door to me. It was just another two-bedroom apartment, just like ours, but it was full of warmth and peace and laughter and connection, and I wanted what they had. Their home is what initially drew me to God. Like Beth, uh, one of my first experiences uh, just being exposed to Disciples of Jesus was being invited over to someone's home on New Year's Day. Um, it was an army colonel where my husband was training who outranked Dan by quite a lot, so we felt like we had to go. So we did go. Um, but when I was there, I was just astounded by what I saw. Uh, I was astounded by the level of hospitality, 
um, but also just how I felt in their home. I felt special. I felt cared for. I felt cared about. Um, I felt like family. And I wanted to learn the why and the how. How does that happen? And um, I, I knew some of Jesus. I, I saw that it reflected his heart. Um, I desperately wanted to be a part of it. And I wanted to imitate what I saw. So that day in 1990, uh, Jean Henderson shared her home and her food with me, but much more importantly, she shared her heart and her faith. And as she talked about Bible study and discipleship and kind of what that meant, I asked her on the spot, will, will, you, will you mentor me? I've always wanted a spiritual mentor. Will you disciple me? And um, little did I know my husband was in another part of the house asking her husband the very same thing. Um, the point, it began in a home. Um, Beth and I were both drawn to uh, God initially through someone's home. Homes that draw people to God are, first of all, well-built. In designing a building, an architect begins with a blueprint, the big picture, a plan. The builders begin with the end in mind. Builders also begin with a cornerstone. One definition of a cornerstone, which is also called a foundation stone or a settling stone, is the first stone that is set in the construction of masonry foundation. So it's important since all other stones are set um, in reference to that stone, determining their position and the position of all the other things that go into that structure. So we, most of us know the scripture in Ephesians 2, 19 through 21, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Our home must begin with our cornerstone built on Jesus. The blueprint? I'm glad you asked. Um, Joshua 24:15 says, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That scripture, this very thing that I had to bring and show you, um, has hung on the home of just about every home we've lived in. Um, from a 15th floor, little married housing, studio apartment with the black tile and the one light that was hanging from the ceiling, um, to military housing, to um, the one bedroom where we were new parents and the baby got the one bedroom and mom and dad got the pull-out couch. You know. um, and of course now it's in our present foyer. Maybe it's not the coolest artwork. It doesn't really go with like the fashion of the day, but I can't part with this. On, on either sides of my front door, there's a welcome sign on one side and that scripture's on the other. And um, one of the things that kind of has gone along with that is in every home that we've lived, before we've moved our stuff in, my husband and I have sat on the, front, the first step of our stairs and we've prayed and we've dedicated the house to God and we've prayed for every person that would ever come in or go out of the, that house and the Bible studies that would happen there, and just all the ways God would use it. We beg God to, to allow us to use it in that way. And so it's the first step get it, of becoming a house, a home. Um, there's something else I want to share with you. It happens to be from our wedding, um, and I think it was really cool. I, I guess everybody thinks the wedding was really cool, but anyway. Um, 
uh, at the beginning of it, the, the minister uh, gave us a charge, and um, I just have to show you this. So on our 10th wedding anniversary, my husband like transcribed the whole wedding into this book. There's us a long time ago. Um, but anyway, this is the program, this is the beginning, but on the second page, we're given a charge, the second you know, paragraph of the wedding, um, by the minister. And I wanna read it to you, because I read it every year and it still convicts me. I sometimes can't read it without crying, but anyway. Uh, it goes like this. I charge you to make your home a place where you will have refuge from the storms of life, not only for yourselves, but also for others who may be your guests. Let it be a haven for the weary, a source of uplift for the discouraged, and a convincing testimony to a cynical world. In short, recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the house, the ruler of your destinies, the object of your deepest affection. If you do this, he will confirm your marriage by guidance and will overshadow it by his presence. All right, if you're in this class and you're not married, you're like, oh, okay, that doesn't really apply to me, but it does. Because all of those things are true, whether you're living at, in a basement apartment or have a singles household or you're, wherever you are, it does apply. Um, you can serve the Lord with whatever you have, wherever you have it. Um, I've heard stories about people in third world countries that have um, blown uh, people from first world countries away with their level of hospitality and their love. I haven't ever been privileged to see that myself, but I've heard enough stories where it convicts me. Um, and the other thing I want to address is if you're sitting out there and go, thinking, okay, I never did that. Is that what's wrong with things? Um, what do I do now? Um, is it too late for me? No, 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 no. Don't let the enemy lie to you like that. Um, it is never too late to start fresh. His mercies are new every morning. Um, Lamentations 3.22 through 25 says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Um, and this morning, I was in a class that Ed Anton was teaching. He shared a Japanese proverb that I've never heard of before. And uh, it goes like this. When is the best time to plant a tree? And the answer was 10 years ago. Um, and when is the second time to plant, second best time, thank you, to plant a tree? Now, which goes with the conference theme, how lovely. Um, the third point I just want to kind of share in my portion here is um, something that I learned from someone I greatly admire, Kay McKean. And she was teaching a lesson about what happens when we use our homes as a place of ministry. Um, this lesson impacted me deeply. It was based on Exodus 3.5, when God's commanding Moses, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. She encouraged us to realize that just as Moses stood in the presence of God in the form of a burning bush, our homes become holy ground whenever we use them for God. It, gives, it gave me chills the first time I heard it, and it still does now. I love the concept of my home becoming holy ground. 
Um, it becomes holy ground whenever the Bible is opened. I love that Matthew 18:20 promises that Jesus is with us in our midst whenever two or more are gathered in his name. So whether our house is being used, our home is being used for Bible studies, discipleship times, or house church gatherings, God is there and it is holy ground. Um, our first century sisters understood that. Their homes were a place of ministry. They were ministry centers for Jesus um, while he was alive and after his resurrection. And that's where the good news was proclaimed, and it was holy ground. So what was true for them is still true for us today. And guess what, sisters? In this room for this hour where we're proclaiming Jesus, this is holy ground too. Um, he is here. He is with us. And um, he lives in us, and we're grateful for that. So, back to the point. When our homes are centered around Christ and his service, we become that convincing testimony to a cynical world. When we have neighbors into our homes, they see God reflected in our relationships. Whether that's marriage, roommates, children, we strive to have a godly home that is full of love and laughter and a family atmosphere that is built on acts of kindness, respect, humility, and love. They won't see perfection, to be sure, especially in my house. But hopefully they will see grace, forgiveness, and the fruit of the Spirit. When we share our homes in this way, um, we do share Jesus. And even if the only thing that's burning in your house is dinner, God is there, and it is holy ground. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at my joke. Um, well, now that we've established that our homes are built on holy ground, let's get back to talking about building well. Beth? Uh, Matthew 7:24. Jesus crowns the most amazing sermon that ever was preached with a powerful story about two houses. Uh, we know the two buildings were the same. We know the storm was the same. We know what was different was the foundation. Uh, what matters is not the house, but the foundation on which it's built. Sue's made many of these points greatly. The house that survived the storm was the one built on the rock. I love the version in Luke 6 um, where in verse 48 he says that the man dug down deep and built that house. Uh, Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. How to dig down deep, how to build well. Sue also obviously talked about uh, considering our houses as holy ground. Um, Matthew 7 says this other essential point, that we recognize Jesus and his word as the rock on which we are building. This is our assumption as we move forward. Um, nothing is more essential than this. We also build our homes well when we realize the power we have over the atmosphere in our home, the tone, the mood, the spirituality, our attitudes shape the home in which we live. We all know the expression, if mama ain't happy, this is funny, haha, we know, but the truth is our demeanor, our attitude, our tongue is often the main, uh, the main setter of the tone, the safety, and the peace of our home. Um, some amazing Proverbs, 21.9, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Ouch. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. James tells us in um, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, I'm going to read it to you from the message. It's a few sentences, but it's very powerful. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world 
turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke. Wow. Uh, my sinful nature is to be critical, bitter, sarcastic, and quick to speak harshly. Years ago, a good friend once shared with me that she'd been with me when I was speaking to my husband, and she said the way I talked to him was caustic. I said, like acid on metal, caustic, like that was the beginning of a lot of repentance for me, a serious change of heart. I hadn't realized the power I had, not just over my husband, but the way everybody in my home felt. We don't want to force our husbands, our families, our parents, our roommates to a corner of the roof. Earlier we said that a house becomes a home when it is full of our hearts, which are full of Jesus and his love, his joy, his peace. I heard something very convicting once that a mark of spiritual maturity is choosing to respond to every situation in life with a fruit of the Spirit. Responding, that means when we're too tired to feel polite. That means when our husbands or our parents or our roommates have said something that really hurts. When our kids are not doing what we've asked them to do. Responding in every situation in our home, in life, with love. I'm going to say all nine of them. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A home where this is the desire of your heart will be a safe haven to return to. So our houses become homes when we see them as holy ground, when we build them on God's word, when we remember that our attitudes shape the tone of the whole home. home. This is when our well-built homes will be on their way to bringing glory to God. Our next main point is that once the home is built well, it needs to be decorated. A house becomes a home when it is well-built and when it is well-lit. I'm going to read to you from Matthew 5. This is from the message. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I love that. Our homes are physical places meant for spiritual use. We are light bearers. When we open our homes and our hearts to others, we prompt people, scripture said, to open up with God. That's the goal. We want people to open up with God. How do we let this light shine? First way that I consider is that we have to know that our home is our unique field, the place that we must live out our faith because no one else can do it from that space. In Mark 5, when Jesus heals the demon-possessed man, The man begs to go with Jesus after it's all said and done. But remember what Jesus tells him to do in in, uh, Mark 5, 23. Go home to your people, to your own people, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. That man wanted to stay so close to Jesus. I would have too. That was a noble thing to do. But maybe, and this is just maybe, Maybe Jesus knew where this man would have the most impact for God was back with his family, who knew that long ago he'd been lost to his demons, or his neighbors who had long ago seen him spiral down and had lost hope for him. They were the ones who may well have known him as he was getting sicker and sicker, and therefore they might have been the ones who would be most changed by his change. Um, One gospel tells 
uh, of this story, one version of it in Mark 5.20 says that the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Decapolis, the ten cities. So either on his way home or after he'd been home and finished his work at home, he ended up converting probably large portions of a ten-city region. Our house becomes a home when we realize the precious place it has in God's economy, in God's plan. We sleep in, we cook in, we live in home base for our mission field. Our families first, but then our neighbors and our neighborhood. This is the field that was given to you and to me, that only I can work in my neighborhood and only you can work in yours, um, where we can till and work and bear fruit. Um, on this point, I want to just share one thing that a home is not, and this is mainly a point for me. A home is not a place to hide. I can do this. I love my home. I've made it comfortable, but I can tend to cocoon in it if I'm not careful. We are running a race. Our homes are a place to restore ourselves and refresh ourselves and one another so that we can keep on running. Amen. That might be only be for me, but I, that's important to me. Um, along the same line, our homes become well-lit when we do what we can there was a time about a year ago when it was really on my heart to reach out to the women in my neighborhood. There's 40 homes, and I've, I'm a great neighbor to my neighbors, but I wanted to be intentional about sharing the gospel with them. And so I wanted to start a Bible study, but my travel schedule last fall didn't allow a whole big Bible study, didn't allow me to pick a whole book and read chapter after chapter after chapter together. So I was sort of in a quandary, but one of my quiet times during that, that time, I was really struck by what Jesus said about the woman who anointed him. In Mark 14, in the version of Mark 14, verse 8, he said, she did what she could. I decided to do what I could. There were three Saturdays last fall when I was going to be home and when it was going to work. So a month or two in advance, I set up, I invited all 40 women in the neighborhood. I set up a three-part Bible study. I chose three women from the Bible to study. Uh, I invited every single one of the women. Uh, quite a few said they would love to come, but they couldn't. Four of them came. I, uh, I added in a few other wonderful sisters, one of whom was right here. Um, it has changed the level of conversation I definitely have with, with these women. Um, I've, whenever I've been in town, I've hosted brunches for the women and their kids. I love to have the kids come over, too. Um, my husband and I have hosted annual picnics. We've arranged for charitable donations where everybody brings the stuff to my house and I, I donate it. Um, just trying to let the light shine from our home. Um, Paul and I have hosted um, the New Year's Eve party for our small group um, for the better part of 15 years, and we've developed a lot of wonderful traditions. We have a ball, it's paper mache, and we lower it at whatever time anybody wants to go home. It can be nine o'clock if you wanna go, we'll lower the ball. Um, but everybody has signed it, and that thing is covered with signatures. Um, if it's been a bad year, one year we had everybody write down the bad stuff that happened to them. There was cancer and lots of terrible things. And we threw it in the fireplace. We had the fireplace and it went up the smoke, went up in smoke. Um, we've written dreams on cards and let them off with helium balloons from that party. Lots of, lots of fun bonding things. I love the tradition my daughter has had for three or four years. She lives in Baltimore in a very tiny apartment. Um, uh, in early December, she's invited her neighbors, sisters from the church, and her coworkers, um, all to come in and decorate gingerbread houses together. It's a terrific opportunity in so many ways. Um, it's all about making the most of whatever opportunities we can create. It's not about what we can't do. It's about doing what we can. Okay, let's talk about hospitality. Okay. We might call this part the part where, where we are well-fed, well-built, well-lit, well-fed. Um, hospitality, the friendly 
and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Um, it was very helpful for me to consider what God has to say about hospitality, and he actually has a lot to say. Romans 12, 13 says, practice it, practice hospitality. So just meditating on that, I think about practice my piano, practice um, work in my garden, practice getting in shape. That's something we're never done with. Right. We have to keep practicing hospitality. The message, the same passage in the message says, be inventive in hospitality. Um, Peter tells us to offer it without grumbling, 1 Peter 4, 9. That's interesting because what that usually means in the Bible is we will be tempted to grumble if he's telling us not to grumble. Um, how easy is it to have all the best motives, invite people into our home, and then you find yourself alone in the kitchen, like, where is all my help? And we can slip into Martha, how Martha felt in Luke 10, we wel who welcomed Jesus into her home, very admirable. She was having the party. But then we learn that she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she does indeed grumble about her sister who isn't helping. It is so tempting. To, it is so easy to become distracted, to major in the minors. Uh, I'm glad for the reminder to be hospitable without grumbling. I love Hebrews 13 too. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I don't know that we'll ever know that on this side of heaven, but that's awesome. Hospitality in part is at least in part a salvation issue. Matthew 25, 31 tells us that at the end of all time, after all has been said and done, when the Son of Man comes, he will sit on his glorious throne. He will separate the people to his right and his left. He'll bless the ones on his right and say, take your inheritance that, that's been prepared for you since the creation of the world. But what are the criteria he uses to make that separation? how they had treated the least of their brothers and sisters. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Our hospitality, how we treat others, especially those less fortunate than ourselves, reveals our heart toward God. Inviting someone into your home pulls the curtain back. It reveals where your treasure is stored. So what are the specifics about how we share this treasure? Come on, um, my husband's career was in the hospitality industry. He took great care of his guests, and it's taking great care of them was what he thought about pretty much all day long for about 40 years. In one of his hotels, they taught that there were three basic steps of service, and I'm going to paraphrase them and borrow them for us today. It's a good way just for us to format um, and grow in the ways that we light our homes and to help light the way for anyone who comes into them. Um, step one is a warm welcome. Remember that we are the primary person setting the tone, the warmth into our home. Never get a second chance to make a first impression. The welcome is, is important. This greeting that we give to people, whether old or new friends, we are ambassadors of Jesus. We have to give the greeting. We, sh we want to give the greeting he would give. He wants to use our homes to bring joy, to draw people to him. Pray for your guests before they come, considering what might be best, most encouraging for them. We've been waiting for you. We're so glad you're here. Intentionally welcoming, not just, oh yeah, oh yeah, the drinks are in the kitchen, you know. Um, eye contact, warm, warm welcome. Consider their interests or careers or personality before they arrive. We have friends whose home we love to visit, 
because every time we go, they always have a fascinating mix of people to meet. We, so we know we're going to meet great people, and they're pros at introducing one to the other because they know their guests, and they, can, they make an effort to let us know why we would like to meet the others. You two have this in common, you know? The whole evening or event is set up for success when we care enough about gathering our gathering to start it off with a lot of love. Step two, anticipation. Or and fulfillment of even the unexpressed needs of your guests. Anticipate. Sue and I tried to anticipate even your unexpressed needs by thinking ahead to that 3 p.m. slump at a conference. And so if you came in late, there's good goodies on chairs. Um, there's brownies for those of you who can eat nuts and uh, gluten. And there's Rice Krispie treats because we anticipated that some of you might be gluten-free. So we wanted to think ahead. It's the golden opportunity to deeply encourage people. Consider their dietary issues when people are coming over. Where will coats go? I don't know about you, but I often have to clean a closet in advance to make sure there's a nice place for people to hang their coats. We just do that in advance. Um, do you have enough beverages? Do you have enough ice? All of that. If it's a meal, what I've learned is I try really hard to decide what I'm going to serve based on if I can have it ready beforehand. I try and have all the courses thought through, ready, so that there's a minimum of stuff to distract me. Um, um, uh, so that you can focus on the things that matter, the conversations, the relationship. I've learned, I mean, I've practiced enough to know I don't relax or be my best for God if I'm unprepared. And if I'm racing around the kitchen, I will be Martha. It is a guarantee. So I, I have to anticipate so I can try to do the merry thing. Um, we'll be much less distracted by what doesn't matter. Um, if you have overnight guests in your home uh, and you have an extra bedroom or even just a spare corner, um, make it as much like a home as you can. I have a relative who has called me so much higher in this. Without a word, she always has, of course, clean sheets and gorgeous pillows, but a robe for the guest, slippers for the guest, fresh flowers in the room, the diffuser with essential oils, a couple books and magazines on the bedside table, the bottle of cold water, a chocolate on the pillow. She's kind of nuts. Whatever would encourage you, do for them. Um, step three is a fond farewell. Hopefully you've gotten a couple of ideas so that make, will make visits to your home so wonderful people won't want to leave. Um, it's always the right time to set up your next visit together. Um, we leave a lasting impression, obviously, in how we say goodbye. Maybe you can consider ahead of time to have enough, to bake enough or cook enough. So you've got a goodie bag already prepared um, as people walk out the door. Um, we, uh, if you know it's gonna be raining, we always try to have flashlights and umbrellas and extra coats near the door. Um, thinking ahead, uh, being intentional, anticipating, loving is the key to it all. And if you've ever had the privilege of being in Beth and Paul's home, they are amazing at it. And um, I feel like I've learned so much from her over the years, so thank you. I got you. Um, so back in our military days, uh, Beth was just talking about warm welcomes and fond farewells. Um, the military does this thing called hail and farewells, um, and they make a really big deal out of that. Um, so it does underscore the importance of that. Um, I think it's really important to involve your children in that too in your home. Um, I know when our kids were young, um, the temptation was video games. I think now it's even the phones that wasn't so much when my kids were little. But they knew it was an expectation because we had had family devotionals on good example and bad example of how to greet someone when they come in your home. Do you ignore them? Do you 
go make them feel special. And so it really was a family expectation. They would stop whatever they were doing. They would come to the door and greet. Um, and they seemed to enjoy it. And then they could go back to whatever they were doing. But we also did that when it was time to say goodbye, too. Um, and, uh, and now it's kind of morphed into a very silly thing. Like on holidays, when we say goodbye to our relatives, we do a family goodbye, um, which is, <laughs> it's ranged from the royal wave to the wave to dances. We've done the thing where you do staggered heads. Anyway, um, but we, we, we have fun with creative goodbyes. Um, and flashing lights and whatever. Um, I was recently in someone's home where they had the children help serve the meal and clear the table. I was really blown away. Um, but letting young children help you make welcome signs or um, placemats or whatever they can do, um, it's as a family culture that you are um, talking about letting the guests in your home see God through you. Um, uh, I know we have one um, rather difficult to please relative that um, we talked a lot about um, if, if they'll know we're Christians by our love and they're in our home and they don't see it in our home, where are they going to see it? And so we've really won over that particular relative. Um, she gave me the highest compliment of my life. Um, she said, you've never been in a more Christian home than my daughter's. I was like, oops, I just said how it was. Oh, well. Um, another way to let your light shine is to um, be sort of the magnet house in the neighborhood. Um, we used to call it the Kool-Aid house back in the day, but Kool-Aid isn't healthy, so I think it's more like the magnet house. Um, but the basketball hoop at the end of your driveway, home plate was at the bottom of our driveway. People would come from all over to sled down our driveway. Um, but the point is to, you want your kids' friends to feel welcome in your home. Um, it's a win-win. Your kids are safe, you're getting to know their friends, and at the end they'll be drawn to what you have. Um, when we moved to Northern Virginia, we hosted a welcome to the, uh, like a, we're the new kids on the block and come meet us, but it was great to meet our neighbors. And as I wrote this lesson, it really convicted me, it's time to do that again, because um, there's a lot of new families that have moved in over the summer. Um, so, and, and the other point I just wanted to make about military moves is if you do move a lot, um, it's really important to whatever is home to you, um, get it up as quickly as you can. Yeah. Because it's, it, it helps us feel secure and settled, but it helps our kids you know, get their room set up first and, and that type of thing. Um, this is a class that's almost over, and uh, it's, it's funny, because we haven't talked about cleaning and cooking and decorating, <laughs> and not so much of it, right? Um, but I think um, what I'm going to say about that is there are so many resources out there now um, when I was a young married, I poured over that two-volume set, The Fine Art of Hospitality, and it had tips about how to keep your bathroom smelling fresh. It was very specific, and I read it and read it and studied it and studied it, and um, it's been helpful. There's websites. Um, there's something called flylady.net who breaks down these huge organization projects and cleaning projects into bite-sized pieces. So if that's your struggle, look that one up. But anyway, um, because there's so much available on the internet, we figured you could find that. It's the heart that we wanted to help with today. And honestly, guys, um, I'm not June Cleaver. I don't know if anybody here in the room remembers June Cleaver. Um, but back in the 50s, it was this um, TV personality. She would frost chocolate cakes in um, her dress and her pearls and her high heels and her little apron and her perfect hair. And, um, and then she would also vacuum that way too. Well, I am not June Cleaver. 
Um, I, I want you to know that I can follow a recipe, but really I'm just an average cook. Um, I work full time. I know where stuff is in Costco. I can do a mean Costco blitz. Um, but I, I know when to ask for help too. And um, the truth is that uh, that I know to whom to go to ask the questions and, and to who, whose feet to sit at. Um, I want to point out that Satan can use comparison to keep us from doing things that God wants us to do. Um, he loves to use our insecurities to keep us from opening our homes. There will always be someone with a bigger home, a lovelier home, better culinary skills or whatever. But remember, comparison is a tool of the enemy and don't let it stop you. It's important to do whatever you can with what you have. Like Beth was saying earlier, Proverbs 15, 16, and 17 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Um, let me do it on time here. Yeah, i wrap up a little bit. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about Tina Charles, whose that is her art sitting right there. Um, she... She's just amazing at this, and I've learned so much from her, and our kids happen to be married. So, like, recently, when we were redoing a bathroom, and my husband likes basic boring beige as every paint color in every room, I called her from the bathroom. I said, Tina, what color would you use? And we're FaceTiming paint swatches, and she got us to pick this radical color of mocha, latte, kind of. It's just so out of the box, but it's beautiful. And um, so I'm grateful for gurus like Tina. And like in Northern Virginia, we have um, obviously the Westbrooks, but we have Gus and Leon Agnes who do YouTube videos of how to make an appetizer plate. It's really out there, guys. Anyway, the point is um, be a learner or just quietly observe, observe when you're in the home of people that do it well and, and ask questions. How do you do that? Where did you get that? Um, so... That's probably enough on that point. But here's what I love to do. If you're in our home, you become family. Um, I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel special and nurtured um, and cared for and cared about and special. And like I felt in that first home I told you about. Um, I love to think about what will make people feel special. We can do... We can make people feel special with just like a little thing. We have this whiteboard that sits on the island of my kitchen. And when people come over, we write, welcome, so-and-so. And I remember one time we had somebody, um, a young man and his uh, fiance come over. And he goes, look, we have our own sign. And it was so, so heartwarming to me. Um, but honestly, making welcome signs is something my roommate and I started in our first apartment out of college. It was a third floor walk up with bright orange shed carpeting and we served spaghetti and peas that night and I still remember that it was this amazing night. Sounds horrible, but my husband and I still joke about the spaghetti and pea awesome night in that apartment. Um, one of the things that roommate taught me is when you're hosting, put on all the lights, a bright environment. It, it really makes it feel warm and welcoming. A lot of times we, we live on the top of a a hill and sometimes when I come home and all the lights are on I'm like oh it's a city of light on a hill I like that um but uh unless it's like a romantic dinner I guess that doesn't apply um but be mindful of the senses so you've got um what you're seeing what what you're smelling you know whether it's a candle or a diffuser um the sound music that sets the mood um it can be a party mood it can be a quiet mood make sure it's not too loud when you're trying to talk um of course taste um, and touch, lots of hugs. So um, 
And another thing I just love is I love to decorate. Um, I, love this, I love the seasons, I love holidays, I love birthdays, I love to celebrate. And so um, it's just something that I, I love to spend time doing. And then when it's done, I love to share it with other people because if I did all that, I need to share it with others, right? Um, so anyway, let's see here. Oh, I want to shout out to Beth at the end. Um, one of the things that she taught me, I don't know, probably 15 or 20 years ago, she said, aren't you grateful when you're going to have company so it gives you an excuse to clean? <laughs> well, um, I have to be honest, I confess that was not my heart when I first heard that. Back in those days, pre-party panic more described my heart and uh, my true feelings. But I celebrate the progress that I've made, becoming a heart more like Beth's and more like God's. Um, we've been honored to, to be with you today. Um, I just want to close out with a little thing that um, I started with our wedding book at the beginning and at the end of our wedding, um, and I was recently reminded of this because Dan and I listened to the audio tape. Um, we didn't have videos back then, but anyway, um, the audio tape of our wedding. And at the end, um, they had us say these words, and I'll just kind of read them to you so I don't get off track here. Um, the minister said, since it is your desire to establish a home where Christ reigns, will you now repeat the vows of a Christian home in unison? So then you hear these two kind of young, very cute voices saying, <laughs> um, but we said it together. And we said, to, depending on God for strength and wisdom, we pledge ourselves to the establishment of a Christian home. Together we will constantly seek God's will and honor Christ in our marriage. We, we said a vow about that, and I just think that's pretty cool. Whatever your circumstances, whether it's living with your folks, a student, tiny home, apartment, singles household, or you've been married for a week or a bazillion years, um, may your hearts be that. May they be the same. Home is where your heart is, you've heard it said. Um, thank you so much for being with us today. We hope um, we've enjoyed our time with you as this was your home away from home. Um, and uh, we hope it's been helpful to think about the keys that turn our homes into Christ-honoring homes that are well-built and well-lit. Um, Beth and I hope this will encourage you to find joy in the holy moments on, in your home. Um, and we pray you will feel God's peace on the holy ground of your home. Um, and in doing so, win over your friends and family. And so, um, to God be the glory. Amen.